Do you, would you like anything else? Uh, no. No, you sure? No, that's all good. Hiya. Hello, it's really good to be here. Thanks for welcoming Pete and I so warmly. It's a cold country, but the people are warm, and that's really nice, so thank you. Um, yeah, Josh is a naughty boy, and uh, you are very patient, obviously, to put up with Josh leading you through. No, I'm, I'm just teasing, of course. Um, so I lead, Josh said I lead the team that leads City Church in York. Um, we've lived in York, my wife Susanna and I have lived in York for 10 years now. Um, I would say that I'm a simple man. I have one passion as a leader, as a pastor, elder, bishop, pope, cardinal, whatever you want to call it. Um, my one passion is to spend my whole life increasing the sense of God through his word, through the preaching of his word, to the community that God has called me to lead for as long as I live, until God says otherwise. That's my one passion. It's simple. Simple. God may call us to go elsewhere. But until that point, my overriding passion is for people to meet with God through Scripture, to find their lives turned upside down by the Word of God, to find that Scripture is not like a big fortune cookie that you dispense with the outside and get the message in the middle, and then that's it, I've learned it, but it's an ongoing, transformative thing that you're changed through constant exposure to God through his word and so um, I, I love the Bible I love teaching the Bible I love seeing people like Josh kind of get it um, and, uh, and and so what I'm going to do with you these today and tomorrow morning we're going to be looking at some chapters from Deuteronomy the Old Testament uh, Josh said we've done quite a lot of New Testament and well, that's good well done that's you know that's the appendix of the Bible um, so we're going to deal with Deuteronomy uh, the fifth book of the Bible if you're not familiar with the Bible particularly yet that's the fifth book um, please find the Bible find Deuteronomy if you've got a device or if you're using uh, a paper Bible which would be uh, unusual these days. Uh, please do find it. Um, I'm using the ESV version, just in case you're wondering, well, what is this that he's reading from? Um, so it's going to be Deuteronomy 1 today. We're going to be exploring that chapter together. Okay, so I'll just give you a couple of moments. This, this is the stalling talk to let everyone find their place in the Bible. By the way, if, you, if you're here and you wouldn't regard yourself as a Christian, it's so great that you're here. It's really good that you're here, and I think it's really important that we don't assume that everybody is a Christian and just don't assume that everybody knows exactly what we're all talking about. Um, and the reality is that we could learn something from you. Um, so please talk to us. Talk to us about, talk to Josh and the team about what makes Christianity seem kind of just incomprehensible to you, or what makes it attractive, what are the kind of stumbling blocks for you. We can learn from you by talking. We don't have all the answers, um, so please do talk, and I hope that you enjoy the weekend. Um, it could be transformative for you. You never know. So, okay, Deuteronomy, that's enough time of stalling and chatting away. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy is a really, really interesting book. Um, Deuteronomy looks... Backwards. So when you read the book of Deuteronomy, or as, as we look at it, it's a book that is looking back to a point in Israel's history when the people of God have been brought out of Egypt, out of slavery in the Exodus. Moses has led a people out, and, uh, and the, the, a generation has spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness because they didn't believe God. They questioned, they grumbled. And over those, those 40 years go by, and then finally a second generation is camped out at the borders of the land. They are there, ready, waiting, about to enter into the land. And Deuteronomy looks back 
to that point. It's looking back to Moses teaching and addressing the second generation of Israelites as they're about to enter into the new thing, enter into the promises. And Deuteronomy largely consists of a bunch of sermons from Moses. That's the content of Deuteronomy, because Moses is teaching, and Moses also looks back. So we're looking back to Deuteronomy that looks back, and Moses is looking back and thinking about this generation that just blew it. They ruined it. They lost it because they didn't believe God. And now here's this second generation, and Moses is saying, hey, pay attention. So Deuteronomy gathers up that kind of sense of we're looking back to something, and we're listening in to a conversation that is about how to make sure that you don't repeat the mistakes of the previous generation, essentially. And the language is remarkably inclusive, What I mean by inclusive here is that it speaks to you. And so Moses tells stories and remembers stories about the first generation's failure. But he says, you, you rebelled, you did not listen, you turned away. And so this is the second generation and they're there and they're ready. But Moses speaks to them as though they were them. Do you see what I mean? And so every generation then that reads Deuteronomy gets to hear this book addressing you as that generation with the same warning, don't blow it, don't mess it up. You're on the borders of something, but you might also be those who don't quite get it because you don't listen or you turn away or you harden your hearts. And so there's something happening. Each person or church or group that picks up Deuteronomy finds themselves addressed by this very present text, a very present document that speaks to you now in that kind of way, which is exciting and can be slightly traumatic as well because it challenges and there's a little bit of needle to Deuteronomy and that's pretty good. So this text is going to inform us and shape us in ways that are exciting and challenging. Uh, What I will say today and tomorrow will kind of be a a sort of a fairly fluid flowing in and out of theological reflections, practical thoughts and insights and just sheer kind of challenge and come on. Um, So I hope that you're up for that. And I expect that's probably what you get from Josh. So uh, or something at least vaguely resembling that. So that's how we're going to tackle it. Okay, now, if you could... Oh, and by the way, the title... Oh, you can't really read that, can you? It says, How Not to Sabotage Your Future. Reflections on a Catastrophe with Moses. There we are. I like interesting titles. It at least creates the illusion that it's going to be an exciting sermon before you begin. All right, so we're in Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 to 8 to begin with. And after what we've heard in the worship this morning, this will probably be a little bit of a... That's funny how God works and things tie together nicely. So, Moses says, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Oh, hang on, here it is. I'm going to put it up in there for you. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbours in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev, And by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. 
So this sermon of Moses, this beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, this looking backwards but also with an anticipation of moving forwards, has this sense of you've been here long enough. You've stayed long enough at this mountain. And it would be true for all of us as Christians, as individuals, or as churches, or even as movements of churches perhaps, that there comes a point when it's time to move on. It comes a point to move forwards with something, to take some new ground, to take some fresh steps, to embrace the unknown, to move into the unfamiliar, to step into something that is new. And so this mountain for the Israelites is kind of, let's move away from being camped here and actually look at getting into inheriting the land that God promised to our forefathers to give us. For you and for I, it could be all manner of different things. It could be about historic encounters with God. I once had this incredible experience of God and it's become for you this mountain. And you've kind of camped there and you've lived there and you've looked for that again and sort of lived on the fumes of it. And God says, it's time to move away from that mountain now. It's time to move into something else. And sometimes we don't like that because we get familiar with the things that we think, well, that was a dramatic moment. And surely we should look for more and more and more and more dramatic moments where God might have actually been fueling you and preparing you for something completely different through that moment. So it might be time to move on. It might be time to step into something else. Maybe this mountain for you is a place of comfort, a place of predictability, a place of just complacency. I can exist I can just be here, I can kind of turn up, tune out, and I'm, it's just, that's, that's it, I'm, it's just all familiar. And so the word of God comes to you this morning and says, Oi, wake up, come on, how alert are you, are you switched on, is it time to move away from this mountain? Maybe it's even relationships, maybe it's even your family, maybe your family think that you are absolutely nuts for joining this crazy cult in Gothenburg good first what what are you talking about where's their building where's the guy with the dog collar and the cross that's you (laughs) well with a dog collar maybe (laughs) Harvey (laughs) God calls his people to move out in obedience to him not to stay put and build a monument Okay, it's time to move out. Now, don't get the wrong idea, because we can hear words about moving out and stepping into something new and immediately assume that that means going somewhere else. Let me suggest to you that moving away from this mountain, whatever this mountain may be, can take place here, now, in your day-to-day, ordinary, work-a-day life as a working, living, breathing person in Sweden, you can move on from this mountain. Maybe it actually looks like a fresh engagement with church, a fresh re-engagement with this group of people. You know, look around the place. Be friends, like your family. Make like buddies. Like, engage again. Take part, participate. Don't just be a passenger. It's nice to be amongst these people. They're kind of cool. I found that. Come on, I've only been here a day. People are nice. Don't sit on the outskirts. I don't know, no no one comes to speak to me. Well, yeah, look at you. (laughs) Scowling the whole time. No wonder. Engage. Participate. Move on from this mountain. 
it might be stepping into something completely new. I know that some of you are here and you're looking in on Good First, you're kind of checking it out, you're sort of sniffing it out. You've been around a year, smells okay so far. Um, when are you going to make, when are you going to commit? When are you going to say, this is it, this is it, I'm, I'm throwing my lot in here, okay? And the millennial generation, I don't know if you talk about millennials in Sweden or not, the kind of generation, people in their 20s, it's in England it's probably the same. It's a kind of, oh, I'll wait and see. I'll keep my options open. Don't want to commit too soon. Don't want to really kind of give myself to anything. What if it doesn't work? Yeah, that's everything. That's everything. You make, a, make a choice, a call. Move on from this mountain. Now, I want you to notice some things about inheriting what Moses says here about inheriting and about moving on and about entering into the new, it's important to see that it's gift and it's promise. And there's a perspective here, and it's being touched on in our worship, that the Christian life is framed with gift and promise. It's grace from God to you, and it's based on promise. And so Christians are people who live by gift and by promise. But they are also people who live by embrace of the gift and the promise. There are gifts from God and there are promises from God, but you don't inherit much by locking yourself away in a shed and waiting for it all to happen around you. There is a call to move and to embrace, to get into something, to start to act like this is happening, okay? To begin to take some steps of faith and obedience. God isn't impressed with false humility, right? God said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm giving you inheritance. I'm giving you beauty and glory. And I'm, I'm making a space for you. You know, Oh, I don't know. Well, I'll wait and see. Well, that, that's not really living by gift and promise. That's kind of living by unbelief. That's living by impress me then. And there's gift and there's promise for you guys. God doesn't call together a group of people to mock them. He calls them together for purpose. Gift and promise. But you've also got to embrace it. You've got to make some calls about that. You've got to start to take some steps. You will know most of you, Oliver and Emily, who you are stealing shamelessly from York, robbing us of two of our very best people. Um, but it's okay, I forgive you. No. I don't forgive you. <laughs> They're taking steps of faith and obedience, not waiting for it all to happen. There's grace, promise, but that's something that you take a hold of. Also notice that with gift and with promise, there is a bigger context. And this is something that we're probably all guilty of as Christians, reducing God's gift and God's promise down to me and my own sense of spiritual fulfilment and destiny. Can I say you need to stop thinking about me and think more about we? Right? You don't just go, oh, it's me, my spirituality. Well, I went to that church, but it wasn't really for me. What you mean is I kind of didn't find that I got onto the right Christian career path trajectory when I went to that church, maybe. Or it didn't meet my needs. Did you think about fulfilling other people's needs at all? Did you think about joining a community saying we together are a people and there's something that God is doing with us? You see, the bigger picture of 
God's gift and promise to Israel is about God's blessing of the nations in and through Abraham's offspring. Here's one that will maybe twist your perspective a little bit. The, the church doesn't have a mission. You don't have a mission. You don't. God's mission has a church. And that's really different. Because you're not the ones that go, oh, hey, guys, we've got this really exciting vision now, a mission now. Oh, wow, amazing. God's going, what? How long have, I've, I've been around a lot longer than you. <laughs> I've had a mission forever. Like, you know, beat that. <laughs> God's got a mission, and his mission is, includes bringing a church into being and sending his church to participate in his mission. It's his thing. It's his story. It's his business. You're called to share in it. So you don't need to try and find out, well, what's our mission? God's got a mission, and he calls his church to share in it. That's the bigger context of gift, promise, inheritance, moving out. Okay? Moving on from this mountain means taking that bigger picture more seriously in your own life and embracing the community a lot more, okay? Do you understand? Good, okay. I know you probably think, yes, I understand and I want to kill you right now. That's fine, okay? The Spirit will convict you in due course and you'll be repenting by the end. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Please don't actually kill me. That, would, that wouldn't go down very well. Um, so, we move on. How to handle blessings on the way. So we've got this perspective on the move piece about time to move on from this mountain. There's a community. They've been around the wilderness 40 years. A generation has gone. And this second generation, they're about to go in. Moses encourages them. Keep your eyes on the bigger picture. Keep your eyes on God. And then stuff has to change. And, you know, church plants are exciting, aren't they? Because it's new and it's all a little bit woo-woo. And we don't know what's happening. But then, annoyingly, people come. Like, and things have got to change, and I don't get as much access to Josh anymore, and he's just, uh, he's busy with that new person. And, uh, stuff changes, and it's about the blessing of God. It's about what God's doing something. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about expecting stuff to change, because when God's blessing something, stuff will change, and you're going to have to suck it up a bit. Right? Sorry, that's a very English thing to say. Do you understand what I mean? You're going to have to deal with that. You know? <laughs> In a gentle, gracious, patient manner. <laughs> oh, that's funny, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> Things are changing already. <laughs> so let's look at what happens next. Verse 9. Moses says, At that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The cry of every single pastor, I think. Um, the Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you. How do you fancy that, Josh? You taking a photo of me? <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> a thousand times as many, Josh. What do you reckon? You ready for that? Tomorrow morning? A thousand times as yeah, many more chairs. Uh, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. 
You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So, so here we go. We've got God's blessing his people. They've multiplied. They've grown. There's bazillions of them all of a sudden. And that's God fulfilling his promise. It's God blessing Abraham's offspring. It's kind of all that stuff that he's spoken about. All these purposes through Abraham multiplying his offspring. But that brings problems. It brings challenges and growth brings challenges. And so when you hit a period where suddenly growth is beginning to happen, and as a church you will hit this, you will hit it, you have hit it. We've kind of kept a beady eye on things in Good First. We've been looking, watching from a distance through satellites and, <laughs> and spies on the ground, just sussing out what's going on. And hearing it's gone from half a dozen people in a living room to suddenly there's 40 or 50 people in a YWAM base. Oh, God's blessing his mission. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> God's doing God's thing. And that's great. God's multiplying things. But that causes other problems because you suddenly need to think about structure. You can't just carry on doing things. When you've got 50 people in a hall, you can't do things. You can't get 50 people in a living room. Not, well, not easily, anyway. Things have got to change. New leaders have to emerge. New structures have to be brought in. And it's not spirit versus structure. It's got to be spirit and structure. They're not mutually exclusive. And you need to hear that because you may be here and think this is really cool and it feels really not threatening because there's not very many people. And what's going to happen when in a few years there's double this number here? Are you still going to feel like, no, it's good, this is good? You need to examine your heart at the moment. Am I here because it's kind of quite nice because I feel like I'm not one face in a crowd somehow? Or is, is it actually I'm sharing in something that God's doing that's bigger than me, that's bigger than this? Structure has got to happen. Things have got to change slightly. And what I want to suggest to you is that rather than thinking, well, we've got to copy something, so we've got to take what Moses does here and copy it, I'm not going to say that at all. Because this doesn't prescribe a bunch of things that you should do when God's blessing his people, but it does give you the sense that you've got to creatively find ways of handling what God's doing. And it is creative. Josh, you must not build a church that looks like other churches that you've seen before. This is this. And God's blessing it. You're not to cookie-cut churches. This is new. God's doing a new thing. You call that a prophecy if you want. That's just an encouragement from my perspective. So find structures. Here's the thing, okay? Let me suggest some things. We're not talking about rigid stuff here. But I think it's important to understand that when you have to make practical arrangements when God's blessing something, structure's good, but not bureaucracy, okay? Structuring is a temporary thing to handle the, what's going on at the moment. Because in a sense, everything in church is temporary. Everything is passing. It's always changing. If you don't like change, don't bother being involved in the church because it's always changing, Stuff's always, things are always happening. The structure is this kind of, it could be fluid, it's there for a time, you don't have to change it. But if you get into bureaucracy, it's excessive administration, excessive attention to detail, trying to tidy everything up and make it all watertight. And then you start to impose something on what God's doing and it can go a bit wrong. So you need structure, but not 
over-the-top structure. You need organisation. Of course you do, even you. You need organisation, but not control. Organisation is fantastic. A church in in Acts in Jerusalem, they respond to an issue, they organise, but don't try and control. And that's a good job, because when they appoint six people to serve, like two of them end up doing the stuff that the apostles do. Stephen and Philip are doing signs and wonders before you know it. It's like, hang on a minute, we asked you to sort out tables. What are you doing going to Samaria? You crazy loon, come back. But hang on, this is about organisation, not control. God's got a way of popping out of all your, finding ways through the seams, you know. You tidy it all up and make it neat and tidy and it's working and then something happens. God pops up somewhere and you've got to change something. Structure good organization good and then remember it's people not projects the church is about people sometimes in the uk churches can get really into programs i don't know how it is in sweden do you have this program do you run this course do you do this thing and and it's all about programs and you can kind of program the life out of church it becomes like a business churn out the stuff churn out the stuff Churn out the course, write the book, release the album. Write the course, churn out the... And that's not really... Well, it can work, I suppose. But don't, you can't impose that. Okay, this is about people, and people are messy and difficult. Like, I'm messy and difficult. Ask my wife. I'm, I'm high maintenance. <laughs> people don't conform to neat, tidy rules. One of my favourite authors is a guy called Eugene Peterson. Uh, you might know him. He wrote the Bible. Um, well, the message translation of the Bible, anyway. Um, and Eugene Peterson wrote a book uh, in which he... I think it's... Oh, I can't remember which one it is. But Eugene Peterson says that sometimes the church that you want can be the enemy of the church that you've got. Right? I think about it. So in your head and leaders... Okay, this is sometimes a thing for leaders, but it can be a thing for all of us. You get an idea in your head, church is going to be like that. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be... And then you get up on Sunday morning and you look out and you've got the kind of kind of guppy face looking back at you. And you're like... And then what can creep in is this idea that these people are in the way of me fulfilling my dream. And the church that you've got is then the enemy of the church that you... of getting to that place out there. Or that place out there is somehow fighting against these people. I think I'll fight against that. And maybe even your heart, this church that you, you want, this particular kind of church, it's small, it's cliquey, it's inclusive, and then that becomes the enemy of what God's doing later on down the road. Just make sure it's people in your heart and God's bigger purposes, not just projects or your personal projects and things. Okay? And then finally on this one, creativity, not homogeneity. I've kind of said this bit already, really. Um, not recreating something else somewhere. Being creative. Not thinking in terms of sameness and looking the same. Because every, every church is different. There's different flavours and different aspects. Okay? No cookie-cutter church. Each one is different. has a different aspect and a sense about what God's doing there. Okay? So handling the blessings on the way. Clear so far? Right? Great. Now, you'd be thinking, we're already off to a start. Well, I want to talk about getting off to a good start in terms of moving on and taking ground. Moses says, 
We set out from Horeb, which, by the way, is Mount Sinai. So if you're reading Deuteronomy and you read Horeb, it's the same as Sinai. It's the same mountain. We set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Oh, next slide. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me and I took 12 men from you, one from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. So here we are. So everyone's camped out. They move out. They kind of have a conference or something. Everyone agrees. It's a great idea. Let's send some spies into the land. So they can, they're going to go ahead of us and suss out what's the best way of going in. They're kind of going. They, they know they're going to inherit this land. Let's check it out. And they get there, wow, guys, that's amazing. And they kind of bring back, a, like in numbers it describes, like a pole with a, 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 vine, a grape vine on it. Like, you know, staggering, carrying this massive bunch of grapes back from that. Look at all this, wow, it's an incredible land. They've seen it, and they've got within their grasp. They have, they've, they're like, wow, what a, what a place. That's a good start. But you know, it's not how you start that counts, it's how you finish that counts. And they start really well, and they get the fruit in their hands, and they tell everyone, whoa, it's an amazing land, but it goes wrong. I was going to say it goes pear-shaped. That's an English thing, and you love pears in Sweden, apparently. So maybe pear-shaped, maybe that's a good thing. It's a bad thing in England. At precisely the point where they've started well, and they've got some, they've got it in their hands. They've got this, this is the foretaste. Exactly that point, the first generation sabotages their future. They undermine their own future at exactly that point. They're holding the fruits of the land. They're beginning to inherit and they sabotage everything. So how to sabotage your future? How to sabotage your future? Let's read what comes next. You would not go up Moses says, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he's brought us up out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. It's basically Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That's, that's who it is. The sons of Anakim is like Zlatan. Um, so don't forget what's happening here Moses is reminding the second generation of how the first generation blew it so that the second generation doesn't make the same mistakes remember that, we're looking back but that word you has an uncomfortable habit of popping up and slapping you in the face every now and again you, you, you and so it speaks to our hearts and calls us out on how willing we are to step into the new 
It calls our hearts out and says, are you about to sabotage your future? Are you on the brink of losing it? Have you got in your hands the fruit, something? I've understood Jesus. Josh said, who do you say I am? Quoting that gospel passage. And I knew, yes, Jesus, your Lord. But all of a sudden, you've got it in your grasp and it's... I'm not sure I believe anymore. I'm going to get back to work on Monday morning. There's that guy, he kind of flirts with me. I, mm, I thought, Jesus is Lord. Oh, and you've got the fruit of the land in your hand. You've got something of the future, the inheritance. But then in comes the little subtle, mm, really. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. Don't blow it as a church. On the cusp of something new. You heard that today. The ice is melting. Spring is coming. That's not a word to go, need to go further north then. <laughs> that means, no, no, pay attention. You could sabotage it. Look, here's a few places. Here's the you bit. The Lord heard your words. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account. Then you answered me. All this you stuff comes in. How's God addressing you with these things? How could you sabotage your future? You know, I don't know what the details of the border looks like for you at the moment, what the specifics of the newness might be. I, don't, I can't tell you what it will look like for a good first to, like to think about newness and what, what God's going to do through you. But here are some ways that you could sabotage it for yourself and for others. And don't forget, if you sabotage individually, that does somehow affect everybody as well. Because when you're a body together... When the church is a body, one bit chops itself off, then, well, everyone's in pain. There's a corporate responsibility. So here's some ideas. This is things probably not to copy, that they might sting a little bit, and that's maybe good, because sometimes we need to feel that, because no pain, we don't change, really, okay? You want to sabotage your future? Cultivate an attitude of complaint. I mean, don't don't just murmur a little bit, like, grow it, practice it, work hard on it. You know, spend two or three hours a day cultivating an attitude of complaint. Everything that you don't like that Josh says when he preaches, email him long, long, laborious emails about why his theology is a little bit dodgy at this point. Like, really go for it. Don't just kind of go to one person and complain about how somebody hurt you. Tell your whole small group and, like, every week, constantly remind them, replay the memories, cultivate an attitude of complaint. There's how you'll sabotage your future. Be a real complainer. Don't be part-time. Go all out. Cultivate an attitude of complaint. Nurture a victim mentality. Cry often about how unfair life has been to you. Tell everybody who will listen, and even those who won't. Blog about it. Make sure everybody knows when it's coming around to that time again. Oh, I'm a victim. Whine about it. Play the... Pom-pom game, poor old me, poor old me. That only works in England, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of yourself as the victim. Sloughing off responsibility, not taking responsibility for yourself. It's someone else's fault. It's never my bad. It's always somebody else's fault. Rewrite your salvation story as bad news. There you go. How to sabotage your future. Make the whole of your Christian life miserable. Fail to give thanks to God. Make it sound like a terrible chore. What awful things God has done to me. You know, sometimes you meet Christians and it's like, are you full of the joy of the Lord? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I see. 
Turn it into bad news. Complain. Be a victim. Make the whole story of God first. A kind of... Uh, tell it with a sigh, you know. Freak out about the unknown. That's how you can sabotage your future. I need to know. I need to know. I need... I can't... I don't know. I'm so anxious right now. I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Right, some people are just naturally given to a little bit of freaking out. That's okay. I could freak out a little bit. But if you really want to sabotage your future, you know, really freak out, go nuts. Bring as many people with you as you possibly can. Like, make them sow seeds of doubt into their minds about God really being with this people. Has God really, has God really called Josh? Josh and Nina? Ugh. Freak out. Go crazy about it. Switch off your inner spam filter. You know what the spam filter is, don't you? Yeah? So every half-truth that you hear, every bit of gossip that comes your way, everything that somebody says to you, do you know so-and-so I heard that so-and-so said that one person said one day then, that one day somebody said that maybe this person said that. Don't go, oh my gosh. Just, just, if you want to sabotage your future, turn that spam filter off and believe it all. And take it all on. And receive it as being absolutely true no matter what. Oh, of course it must be true. Of course it's true. Seven people's names mentioned in a rumour chain. Of course it's true. That's how to sabotage your future. Face every problem from a merely human perspective. Everything that happens, every setback, every challenge, every kind of, you know, oh gosh, go, oh, it's a mistake, we've gone wrong, something's not happening right. Fail to see it from a God perspective. Here's how to sabotage your future. Uh, find a yeah, but. This is something we get in England quite a lot. There's a few people who I can particularly think of who I won't name, because um, this might get out, and Ollie might know them. Um, so it's not you, Ollie. Um, this, is a killer for, this is a killer for leaders in the church. You meet with someone, they want help, they want you to, to encourage them, to build them up. You meet with them and you kind of, you, you teach them, you love them, you invest in them, and they go, yeah, but... <laughs> I want to go, bam! No! I'd never do that, don't worry. It's like the shot's face in the front row. What? <laughs> keep the inner spam filter on. <laughs> Find a yeah but for every encouragement to trust God. Yeah, we don't know where we're going at the moment. We're not sure. We don't know what it's going to look like. We've we got to find a new venue in a couple of months' time. But we're not sure where it's going to be yet. Oh my goodness. It's all, it's all right. We're going to believe God. God's with us. He's called us. It's his mission. It's his purpose. He's doing it. Yeah, but. See, the yeah, buts are killers in the life of the church. Yeah, but is just basically putting a shine on unbelief and making it sound like critical thinking. Don't do it. Unless you want to sabotage your future. So there's a good don't do list. If you are doing any of these, stop because it's not helpful for you or for anybody else. I can email slides, by the way, if you really want. There's people taking pictures of the screen. <laughs> yeah, no one's taking pictures. No one's taking pictures of me. What? <laughs> Apart from Josh, yeah, Josh's. Yeah, I know, yeah. Creep. <laughs> so how to sabotage your future? Well, how not to sabotage your future? Let's read a few more verses, and then I'll stop. Then I said to you, this is Moses again, don't be in dread or afraid of them. 
The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you didn't believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. So there's a way of sabotaging. But Moses gives us some ways of not sabotaging your future. And this is where we have to pay attention to Moses. Because remember, Moses addresses you, talking about the first generation, but addressing the second generation. And therefore, in the text, as we read it, addressing you. So let's hear the things that he says. Here's a few kind of thoughts from that. Trust that God goes before you. We all know God goes before you until we're not sure what's coming next and then we start to freak out. Okay? God is always ahead. He's always ahead. You are never the prime mover or shaker in this deal. You do not determine what God does next. God does that himself. Right? God's ahead. You're always the one playing catch up. Sometimes we talk on Sundays, don't we, or in churches about God showing up. But it's the wrong language. It's about whether we show up or not. God's always present. Are you? Woody Allen said 70% of life is showing up. When it comes to church, are you showing up? Turn up. Anyway, that's a, I'm going off on a different tangent there. Trust that God goes first. <coughs> Jesus said, my father is always working and I am working. The idea is that God's been doing this gig for a long time now, before you showed up. And the chances are he'll be doing it a long time after you're dust again. Okay? So trust that he goes before you. Take a chill pill with that. You don't, what does that mean? Do you understand? Relax. God's ahead. God's ahead. In the Gospels, in Mark's Gospel, remember Mark's Gospel? In Mark's Gospel, you see in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is, they're on the way to, the, to the turn has happened. In Mark, when, uh, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, it's this transition. And Jesus now starts to head towards Jerusalem. And they're going downhill from Caesarea Philippi, down into the valley. And the narrative gets darker and darker as they kind of walk downhill. And it's this literary thing that Mark's giving you the idea. It's getting darker. And, and it says in Mark 10, that, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and the, this, and the crowds were amazed and the disciples were afraid or something. And you've got this, this idea that Jesus knows where he's going. And he's leading the way. And he's leading the way to the cross, to suffering. He's embracing that. He goes ahead. Jesus is, shows us a God who is always ahead. He's on the move ahead of you. It's not, well, hang on a minute, we've run off here. Wait, let's wait for Jesus to catch up a little bit. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. I think he turned right down there. Let's go back. Right, Emil, on the way from the airport? Oh, I think, oh! Taking the scenic route, that's right. Jesus isn't taking the scenic route. He's ahead. So don't worry. He's ahead of you. Jesus said, I'll go ahead to prepare a place for you. Talking about new heavens and earth, perhaps. He goes ahead of you, so don't worry. Fight for the confidence that God fights for you. This is something that you do have to fight for. You know? Fight for the confidence that he fights for you. 
It's all going to say, oh, yeah, well, I know that God loves me. I know that God, I know that God's for me. No, I really wrestle with it. Fight for it. Gain confidence. God fights for us. He fights our battles for us. Whatever we face, God fights on our behalf. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to freak out. I don't need to do all the other lists. God fights for me. I'll wrestle for that trust. Learn to see your history in God's saving history. Okay? Locate the story of all this and of your life in the bigger picture of God's saving history. Okay? It's not about God came into your story to make it a little bit better. Like, come here, Josh. <laughs> so let's, see, let's, let's say Josh is Jesus for a moment. Okay? Joshua, Jesus, close. Okay? In fact, the heap, yeah. Um, so I think, oh, okay, I might become a Christian. Fantastic. Oh, excellent. Thanks, Jesus. And now Jesus is going to come with me wherever I want to go. And Jesus is going to help me. And Jesus is going to make my life that little much better for me. And Jesus is going to help me with all my aspirational stuff. Because Jesus is with me. And it's beautiful. And it's a little bit inconvenient because sometimes, well, there's this guy here. The ones are kind of there. But, but Jesus is with me. And he comes with me. And it's, and it's wonderful. And thank you, Jesus. Um, you can sit down again now, Josh. Don't applaud it. It's not worth applauding. It's just, it's an illustration. <laughs> It's God's picture. He comes to you. Jesus comes to you. He, you didn't choose him. He chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. And the you here, I want to make a plural you. He's chosen you as good first to bear fruit. So you see, if you start seeing your story and the bits and pieces in your life and the ups and downs and the traumas and the dramas and the successes and the failures and the heartaches as being a part of God's saving story, it changes stuff. Because it's not, well, Jesus comes in and everything's cool from then on in. Because Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't sound a lot like, hey guys, God's got an awesome plan for your life. Or aspirational stuff. The kind of Christian aspirational thing is, how much more can I die with Jesus to find his life in me? <laughs> There's an aspiration for you. Okay? So we're not trying to find some, you know, find some way of, how can I navigate life with the least trouble? Following Jesus, seeing all the stuff that happens. There's an old mystic, I can't think what his name is, who said... Um, Everything that happens to you is necessary for your salvation. Oh. Could you start to see things like that? Could you start to imagine life like that? Could you start to have that big God picture perspective? Everything is necessary. God's treating you as sons. He's disciplining you in love. That you trust him. See, to have that perspective shifts things dramatically. Makes you a patient, gracious person when you can embrace pain and go, God loves me, he's for me. Okay? Relax in the knowledge that God carries you. You don't carry God. And that's good news. I don't know how you carry something that you can't define anyway, but you don't carry him. He carries you. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? As a father carries his son, Moses said, so the Lord has carried you all these years. 
I know there's those terrible footprints posters that are in Christian bookshops, you know. Oh, Lord, I dreamed a dream and there was only one set of footprints on the ground. And, oh, my son, that was when I carried you. Well, yeah, it's, well, it kind of is, though. God carries his people. The post is cheesy, but like, the reality is God carries us. He's responsible. Paul says in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you, plural you, will see it through to completion. He's carrying you. It's awesome. So chill out. Let God lead you and make a way. So be patient. You're never in control of the outcome. You can plan your best plans, do your best strategy piece. You can try and get to grips with the most amazing kind of set of vision, mission, all the rest of it. But you can't control the outcome. Something will happen that's a spanner in the works. (laughs) And I think sometimes God allows that to happen to go, yeah, see, it's me. And I carry you. And I control the outcome. You're just being carried and sharing and participating. So we've looked at this big, long passage. It's even longer tomorrow morning. I'll have to be briefer. Um, But what I've wanted to do to see is this idea of movement, of trusting, of grace that is taking a hold of things and making sure that you hear the word of Moses in the text that addresses you and addresses you as a people in Christ who don't shrink back, who don't sabotage what God is doing here, but who take ownership of one another, who trust God and fight for the confidence that he's with you and move into inheriting all the things that God has. You can't structure your way out of it. You can't control it all. You can receive it and embrace it. And as you do, God blesses what he's doing and things grow and change, which is beautiful. Amen. Go and do these things. Or not some of those things.